dangerously close. This episode is brought to you today by William Mitchell Audio. And I could go on and on about what a great company William Mitchell Audio is. But instead, how about I just tell you what this ad would sound like if it had been brought to you by any other company. It would be like this. <clears throat> this episode is brought to you today by some whack bullshit. I don't care about it. Blah, 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 blah. See, I would never say something like that in a William Mitchell Audio ad. And that's why you should go to WilliamMitchellAudio.com. And we're rolling. My guest today is Kitlin Walken. Kitlin Walken is the official European representative and instructor for Hull's Tracking School in Virginia. And she is a certified conservation ranger for Conservation Rangers Operations Worldwide. She has been an outdoors and tracking enthusiast since childhood. She is also a freelance writer for several magazines based in the United States, such as Recoil Off Grid and American Survival Guide, as well as in the United Kingdom, the Bushcraft Journal and Combatives Weekly. Kit lives and works in Europe, even though she often travels overseas. And she can be contacted at thewayoftracking.com. Uh, buongiorno, Kit. It's actually buon pomeriggio, as we are in late afternoon right here, but uh, that's fine. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, I guess, uh, Don't worry. I guess it's, it's, it's buongiorno where I am. And then how do you say good evening in Italian? Yeah, buon pomeriggio is like more like a good afternoon. Yes, just because uh, we are around uh, uh, 6 p.m. right now, so we're close to dinner time. But uh, buon pomeriggio, good afternoon, it still works, really. <laughs> okay, and uh, uh, come va? <laughs> Perfect. Uh, your pronunciation is very, very good, uh, actually. Very, very nice. Uh, all fine. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Uh, is it, what's it, how would you say that? Uh, bene, right? What do you mean? But because if, I didn't get what they did. The like, I, I was just trying to say what you said, but then I was trying to say it in Italian. Is it? Ah, bene. 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 Like, bene. it's like, I'm, I'm doing good. Yeah, but, you, but with the A-E, sorry, very open. Bene. It's like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, uh, some like banding, you know, the banding yeah. stuff on, that you do on, on guitar. So it's uh, just quite like the, the same sound, but it's actually good. Bene, same stuff. Ben. I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I promise that's that's the last you will hear me uh, struggling to speak Italian. I just oh, wanted yeah, to do a little bit of the, it's just it's good. just fun for me. Um, I I've learned a lot like I've learned a lot of Spanish in American. I know there's a little bit of an analog there that Spanish is somewhat closer to Italian than a lot of other languages. So yeah, um, it is actually. Even if uh, let me say that uh, Spanish has got tons of Arabic words. And uh, they are quite different from uh, from Italian, actually, and uh, and they are uh, also tough to pronounce because uh, of the sound, and uh, which makes them uh, very tricky. But and I also I assume like you know because you're in Europe, you're more familiar with Spain Spanish, and I'm obviously more familiar with uh, Spanish from Mexico. Okay, so, okay. Which also I guess there's very different pronunciations there. But yeah, I guess moving on, Kit. Uh, why why I asked you to come on the podcast is uh, was it's about tracking. It's about what you do. Uh, 
you're an expert. And like when I was reading your uh, bio earlier, I could have gone on and on and on by reading uh, testimonials that people have written about you that are very glowing. Obviously, you're highly respected uh, in your field. But I would have to say, I guess, about myself is that, uh, that when I think about tracking, it is really mostly the way that tracking has been portrayed in movies. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of people. So the first question I want to ask is actually, is there any movie that you can think of off the top of your head that has a tracker in it where that character is actually doing anything that's realistic or accurate to what you do in real life? Well, that, that's a really good question. It's actually um, not so, so much time ago, something like uh, three months ago, I was required to write a, an, an article for uh, a website I collaborate with, which is called uh, Parker Press. Uh, and they actually asked me to kind of, you know, put down a list of movies uh, which contain perhaps just one single scene, I mean, uh, based on, on tracking. And what I can tell you is that uh, there are several um, movies which has very good uh, scenes and are pretty much realistic. For example, the first one that jumped out of my mind is uh, um, that one, uh, um, uh, for example, with uh, um, like Shining, for example, from Sally Kubrick. Yeah. The final scene of one of the labyrinth, uh, it portrays a... Uh, uh, a tracking and anti-tracking scene because actually Jack Torrance is tracking his kid inside the labyrinth. You know that one with the snow? They are trapped inside the labyrinth and yeah. a few minutes before getting into hypothermia, he, he is actually trying to uh, struggle, I mean, to, to, to track his sons and his son, um, he was trying to um, minimize or erase at all, cancel at all his tracks for making, you know, uh, to become completely invisible to the eyes of the, of the father. So uh, a realistic one is that one. Uh, absolutely, it makes sense. But we have uh, tones. We have that uh, good movie with uh, Benicio Del Toro and uh, um, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, which uh, should be, uh, sorry if I kind of, you know, uh, wait a little bit before saying the title, because uh, in Italy we have this bad, bad habit on translating quite all the title of the movie in Italian. I, I remember that film. It's Benicio uh, Del Toro's, uh, he's tracking Tommy Lee Jones through the forest to hunt him, yeah, right? Yeah, that one. It was yeah. the hit? No, it was, uh, it's got a, a, another title. But I, it will jump on, on my mind I think it's called maybe uh, Hunted, The Hunted. The Hunted, right. The Hunted, right. Because they, 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 the Italian title is completely different. Uh, then we have uh, some good movie from Australia and New Zealand. Like the one is called The Tracker, a very, really nice one. Very realistic, I can say. But uh, generally speaking, <clears throat> the, the scenes, uh, most of the time, uh, have been uh, quite carefully monitored or kind of guided by a real tracker. Okay, for example, that one that you mentioned, uh, the is absolutely, absolutely, it has uh, the, the the consultancy from uh, Tom Brown Jr. in order to set up the scenes. So, well, it was a master tracker, so he knows his stuff. Oh, so, that's, so they actually, what they do a lot of times is they have. Uh, a, a highly skilled tracker that is a consultant on the movie to 
so that it, so that it's not just make believe and it's not silly and that's and that's why it seems so real yeah it is maybe the move itself uh, you know i'm speaking from a cinematographic criticism perspective it could be maybe not so good enough could be a little bit uh you know well it can have some legs and uh but uh, from a tracking perspective most of the time they are good nothing bad to say about it because of the consultancy of master tracker or uh, you know border patrol agents and uh, so on so people that actually do they know their stuff and it makes everything you know realistic 100 percent. cool so uh, yeah anyone listening if you haven't seen the hunted with benicio del toro and tommy lee jones it's already a fun cool movie and now we know that the tracking scenes in it are not uh make-believe silly stuff they're actually pretty accurate so that's cool that's cool to know um uh, <laughs> i was going to ask you this and this is something that, that i was extremely curious about um I mean, I have in my imagination, I thought of some things, but I, you know, obviously I was, I would love to know the, the real scenarios. And it's that, you know, you train people that work in several different professions in the art of tracking. But I'd like to ask about people that work in search and rescue first. Uh, what are some of the scenarios in which people who work in, I mean, in search and rescue need to use the art of tracking? Well, Doug, it, it depends from uh, the scenario itself and uh, even before the scenario, the terrain, because the terrain always dictates uh, the difference. Uh, as far as what I can tell you, I am mostly trained people that um, are members from search and rescue teams and they mostly uh, work on the Alps, which have a very tough uh, terrain uh, for several reasons because most of the time uh, it's got a lot of slopes a uh, lot of craggy terrain uh, you know very steep sometimes uh, and um yes i recently came back from the netherlands uh, i also trained some uh, members of uh, uh, a group of there which is called the federal research rescue they have a completely different terrain because they have some dunes some sand it just depends on uh, on the area they, they operate in um well um maybe some uh, search and rescue team can count on the presence of some canine operator canine handler okay so in that case uh, obviously the dog just followed sound night and uh, the operator itself the handler I mean uh, it's not supposed to be a tracker himself or itself but when you have a tracker a tracker and search team or group is uh, required work in every kind of terrain and environment okay it just makes sense that people who uh, work on the alps are you know 90 percent accustomed to their own terrain so they perfectly know how to look for tracks over there how to you know to check the minimum distance made out of uh, for example a people which has been dislodged by the past of all one person or two persons just then depends on all the number who are missing so uh the greater uh, the, the main factor i mean is just a terrain so it is what it is in this case is that uh, also i guess when we're speaking about the alps is that is that a common place for people to go missing because of there, there's so many mountain sports where people find themselves in uh, uh emergency situations in the alps is that a, a thing? 
Mm, yeah, um, I can tell you that uh, even more than, uh, uh, I mean, a rocky area, for example, Dolomites, okay? So high altitude, several, several feet of altitude, but you have, you know, craggy terrain. So people mm, actually didn't get lost over there. The most accident they may, uh, you know, run into are just uh, fall down, for example, okay? They just, uh, uh, maybe they got some bad pull and then uh, ended up on being uh, on the, the basis, for, for example, of a glacier. But uh, people got lost, especially in Woodland area. So the area, we can say, just the previous area to uh, the great altitudes. And it makes sense because we have a lot of trails, but uh, um, actually uh, a lot of them has been dismissed during, during the years because there were former trails for hunters, a former trail for the, you know, local population of just got, for example, crossing the border from Italy to Switzerland. And they're not used anymore, so they are not maintained. And this means that they also have no disclaimer at all. And uh, this thing can, uh, you know, put people in disguise continually. And they got lost exactly for that reason. Thank you. Well, that's a, that was actually a really, a really good answer. And actually, I feel like uh, that was kind of what I was looking for. But I also want to talk about, because uh, you, uh, you don't just train search and rescue people. Uh, you also train people that work. Uh, I'm sorry. You have to train uh, soldiers in tracking skills. And it would seem uh, that it would be almost be equally as important to a soldier to know how to be able to avoid being tracked. Uh, do you teach any method, methods on how to cover your tracks and how to hide your trail from pursuers when you're working with uh, military operators or soldiers? Well, uh, from a uh, uh, theoretical, let's say, perspective, uh, Yes, even if uh, what I can tell you is that uh, uh, quite most all of them, not all of them actually, did already have uh, notions about uh, tracking and uh, they have an idea on, on how to reduce their own tracks or how to partially man, uh, conceal them. Actually, I did uh, uh, train people in uh, basic and tracking skills because I'm being required specifically this kind of stuff. So like an introduction to the topic, giving them the very essential, even if they already received that during the army training, uh, it doesn't matter. They just have, uh, there's, uh, you know, this will to learn, will to improve their own skills and acquire also maybe a different method, a different approach. Again, uh, for uh, all anti-tracking techniques that we actually know, they are, again, uh, totally dependent on the terrain itself. So if the terrain is, for example, extremely tough because it, mm, it is dry, dry or it has a lot of rocks on it, like, for example, the dolomites we already mentioned, it makes sense that uh, putting in action some kind of anti-tracking techniques over there would be more... Uh, effective let's say that uh, in any woodland area humid area because if you have a what we call in the trucking terminology good truck traps that i mean terrain with a mud snow or sand for example uh that area are more mm, prone to capture every single detail of your own tracks so yeah. a very you know it makes sense if you step on them you will leave uh, obviously 
very clear tracks, and me and you, whatever, any kind of person. If we move on and there is some tough surfaces, very hard, it makes sense that we leave no trace of And again, to the possible scenario, if you step into something like any kind of liquid, it could be blood as well, uh, we will actually bring it from one spot to another. If you are accustomed, for example, to the case of uh, O.J. Simpson, which occurred in 1995, and uh, uh, for solving that case, uh, has been called, uh, um, I think, calling uh, a former FBI agent, uh, William J. Bortz, which is a master in his killing forensic tracking, I mean, and they detect uh, all this stuff. Uh, huge amount of tracks uh, left on blood uh, on the crime scene, and he was able to reconstruct uh, the wall design uh, of the soul uh, of the person involved, uh, and uh, he ended up in having, you know, a clear pattern. It is what we call <clears throat> in tracking, so it's essentially the soul design, uh, and uh, he was able to determine that that uh, single pattern uh, proved the presence of O.J. Simpson on, on the scene. Okay, so if you Google it, uh, you will find a lot of pictures and videos and you can go on for hours and uh, dig in a, a little bit more in this topic, but just to give you an idea about how things work, huh? exactly from this man. And um, so um, tracking and anti-tracking techniques, uh, both for soldiers or <clears throat> search or rescue, they have the very same essential, but it makes sense for soldiers uh, to acquire before any anti-tracking technique, some solid man-tracking essential skills. And I, I guess you could say too that uh, if you if you fully understand tracking skills, like how to how to track, you know, and to how to and to understand the art of tracking, then it would uh, obviously make sense that you can just in your own mind be able to reverse your knowledge and learn, you know, and and take the knowledge that you have of how you would track someone and use that as a a way to make to do anti-tracking as, as you put it or to like cover your tracks or to hide your trail exactly absolutely 100 percent correct yeah spe speaking of people that uh clearly would be some of the people that would be the most likely to be trying to do anti-tracking and whatnot and that would be speaking about poachers as a matter of fact recently i saw an article showing uh, this, some trick that some post poachers were trying to do where they had taken the hooves of some certain animal and had nailed it into the bottom of their boots <laughs> in order to, to make their boots appear to be animal tracks, even though that's, it's not obviously foolproof. I'm sure someone at your level could clearly see that it was a bipedal uh, human being walking, even though it's animal hoof tracks. Um, which leads me to this, and that's that... Uh, you are a certified anti-poaching ranger. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the ways that you have worked against poaching in your life? Well, the, the <clears throat> starting from the, the, the example that you mentioned, which was actually, uh, I think that a, a prayer of that uh, specific shoes has been, uh, uh, you know, kept in uh, um, some museum uh, around uh, Yuda, something like this, because I have a student that sent me clearly a picture of them. But what I can tell you is that producing these kind of shoes is very laborious. It takes a lot of time because you have not only to do it in the right way, but also to put it into a, you know, ineffective manner because, you know, animals, they do walk with the 
on four legs, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if a person is trying to replicate this kind of movement, obviously on, on the ground, it will appear something extremely odd, extremely. So um, to answer your question, well, Butchers has got a lot of uh, creative waves, but, uh, well, um, not uh, even uh, I mean, so accurate and elaborate once again <clears throat> to this kind of stuff using hooks uh, under a mount them under the, the sole of the of the shoe. Uh, one of um, the most uh, actually well option way to by coaches uh, to to leave no tracks is just to employ like a, <clears throat> like a blanket or a jacket and they walk on it. And after uh, I mean this. Obviously, it works on sand. After the cover, mm-hmm. that the small part which has been previously covered by the jacket or the blanket, they remove it and put it out again and again. So, if you think about the walk process, it makes sense that it takes a lot of time because uh, you walk and then you put the blanket and then you walk again and you remove the blanket and so on. So, it is not effective at all. One of the most common techniques is just uh, to increase the time distance gap. Because if you are following them and they are on the run and they are 100% aware that they've been following, it makes sense to just increase the speed as soon as they can and maybe take advantage of any kind of vehicle, like uh, you know, uh, a Bucky, which is a car over there, especially in South Africa, or a bicycle. Or maybe they can change the, 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 the shoes, they can walk using just socks because socks have not a specific design. And it makes sense that on some parts completely <clears throat> covered by sand, you have this very soft ground, and that uh, this sand may collapse uh, under your feet. So when you walk, you will leave actually no clear trace at all. You know what I mean? So uh, there are a lot of uh, different methods uh, uh, they employ in order not to be followed, but uh, most of them. They are just very easy, very effective. They again depends on the terrain they have at their own disposal, and obviously the final goal is not to be captured, but also to increase the time distance gap. It makes sense. I mean, they just yeah, that makes sense. That, makes sense that uh, instead of I mean, because like you were saying, all those methods that a poacher might use to try to uh, perform anti-tracking would. Mm-hmm. All that would do would be increase the amount of time that they're on the wilderness, wilderness reserve or wherever they're not supposed to be in the first place where they're already trespassing. And so yeah. what they're, so I guess their primary objective is to just as quickly as possible get into the wilderness preserve, uh, kill whatever uh, endangered species that they're after, and then escape as quickly as possible and just go ahead and leave their tracks because. I yeah, guess they're, they're, not be, they're not going to be pursued beyond the borders, I suppose. Like they, once, yeah. once they've gotten out of the re, out of the reserve, they're kind of home free, I, I suppose. <laughs> how it works in a lot of countries. Yeah, unfortunately, they feel like dazzled the way. And what I can tell you is that sometimes they just infiltrate inside the reserves. Parents uh, is just in order to set some snares. Which are most of the time, uh, you know, they are rusty piece of wire that they, uh, you know, they conceal among the ambush, and uh, uh, any animal actually can can be trapped and can get into it. So um, yeah, it makes sense for them to do their own illegal activities as soon as they can, 
as you correctly say, quickly leave the reserve. And once I out, I feel you know, more confident, I feel more relaxed. And uh, if they don't uh, get uh, caught, I mean, uh, that by authorities and local rangers, they can do it again, again, and again. And that's why we, as a conservation rangers operation worldwide, as an NGO, we actually uh, we love to be on the field because it is mandatory to be on the field. And you can you cannot you know you cannot deal with the uh, capturing poachers from you know they ask from an office with a condition and there and stuff like this. You need to be over there. It seems like <laughs> too that uh, well. the poachers um, they are more likely to target wilderness preserves that are more uh, remote that would have less people. I, I had a guest on this show uh, last year who worked on the Maasai Mara in Kenya. And she said that I had asked about poachers there because they have, you know, so many endangered species in that area. Uh, but what she was saying is because the Maasai Mara area is so, there are so many rangers and there are so many people and there's actually so many tourists that poachers don't even venture into that area because the likelihood of being caught is so high they like they will be spotted before they can even uh before they could kill an elephant or whatever it is they're there to do so it's actually some of the more remote uh places that are more in danger of poachers and uh, and therefore more in need of skilled trackers that can you know find and apprehend them before they can escape yeah oh totally yes uh, also, because uh, the area, the Mazamara, we know it very well because we actually have some uh, mission running on over, the, over there. As you see, there is packing with people, and I mean, uh, tourists and, uh, you know, people from uh, the, the local rangers itself. As a reserve, the, the less risk, I mean, soldiers, uh, they're not expected to be so uh, Free and so relaxed to do their own activities. So they just operate in a secluded area, uh, not so much, you know, overcheck. And uh, it's exactly that kind of place where they, they leave their own activities and they, they, they hope to, to, to make it in a completely uh, freedom with no interference or nothing at all. And that's why it is so important. Uh, to, uh, I mean, uh, to be uh, um, not only on the, the main spots, but also in what we call the, the second one, the most remote ones. So totally, yes, again. And I, I feel like uh, this kind of segues from, you know, from speaking about poachers and then just to ask about a personal experience of yours. Uh, what would you say is one of the most difficult experiences that you've ever had tracking? Well, um, for sure, um, <laughs> contamination. Um, for contamination, I mean, uh, the presence of, um, I mean, let's say this way, uh, working in an area uh, with uh, has been uh, uh, overcrossed, I mean, by presence of people, vehicles, uh, domestic animals, wild animals. And they were like this, for example, Apennini, which is uh, uh, the central mountain area of, of, of Italy. And as well as some some spots as well in the Alps are that way absolutely. And uh, I actually found uh, uh, not so easy at all also to uh, 
truck on sand. I mean, in my recent uh, classes that uh, I held I in, in the Netherlands, because of the fact that uh, if you have, a, let's say, a sand which has a, a percentage of moisture, uh, which can be considered ideal to spot trucks and to maintain them, everything works good and you have no issue at all. But if you have very dry sand, like a dune style, well, <laughs> it's an L, really, because uh, you just see some, uh, you know, some outline, but you have no possibility at all to spot for inner details and say, okay, that person, uh, yeah, that, that's that. I'm just uh, following him. I'm on those on track lines. But if I see no indication at all of the pattern of your shoes, and no, no matter if you are, you know, uh, wearing uh, a pair of uh, donut boots or uh, a Nike shoes. I have no clue, no clue. And that's why I tell you that. Well, from one side, you have an over-contamination. And from the other side, again, the theory itself could be, as I wrote in one of my books, it can be your best lie or your worst enemy at all. Totally, yeah. yeah. I guess uh, I want to like add to that question uh, because, and this is, it's, it's a slightly different question, but because I'm sure that you... I mean, obviously, you probably enjoy a good challenge. So when I ask you, you know, about uh, difficult tracking, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily having a bad time because, you know, it's it's like solving a puzzle. But I did want to ask, what like what is the most uh, not not the but just what is one of the most fun experiences that you've ever had tracking where it was just a very enjoyable, super uh, fun time? I have no doubts, no doubts at all to mention you. The first time that I've been in Nevada, outside Vegas for attending uh, to the shot show back to two years ago. So my very first time actually in the desert over there. And I have this, uh, you know, this expectation. The tracking in this desert in the terrain could be extremely tough because of the desert itself, because of the rocks, because of the wind, a lot of uh, new, you know, elements that I needed to get used to. And uh, I was quite surprised by the fact that, uh, uh, well, I can clearly see uh, quite all the track line, no matter of the jet lag that, that I was yeah. still struggling. <laughs> and I see, well, I, mm, I see tracks, but I see that there also some, you know, that the small cactus and uh, the low vegetation over there was really good indicators for, uh, uh, for tracks. And uh, you know that, 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 that um, did an adagio, I don't know how do you call it, like a motto. Uh, no expectations are always good protections. And in my case, uh, well, I had this expectation about uh, one of the most tough terrain ever. And the reality of fact is that that day specifically, I was uh, a really trucks. It could be me or could be, not, not because I feel myself the, the most good truck in the, in the world, but because at that specific moment, maybe my excitement, my enthusiasm for being over there in trucks made me actually do, do good uh, and trucks self-aware, very good. Um, they, 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 the next year, I've been again over there, but a little bit different, different era because I was in the Red Rock. So actually it was in 2020. And uh, well, the years are quite the same. But I found uh, tough 
sometimes with drugs. So, you know, it could be one day, one good day or one bad day. And no matter if you put all yourself in it, sometimes you are very proficient and at times, oh, you feel like a nose, like a neophyte. But it works that way and that's it. But it was a really one of the best experiences that I ever had. So That's awesome. Um, and I guess now this is, uh, this is kind of more, I don't want to say that it's a practical question because obviously I'm not going to be able to learn, uh, you know, enough of, of action, actionable things about tracking just from, just from speaking to you. I mean, this is clearly something that takes years to develop these skills, but I feel like just, uh, to get a better understanding of what it is you do, I was, I just came up with a little scenario and I was going to ask you like, what you like, uh, it basically it's this, uh, if I lost my dog in a forest, what instructions would you give me to be able to try to track her down? If, and let's say I don't have access to being able to get other kind of canine tracking dogs to help me, that I'm, I'm on my own in this, in this scenario. Well, what I, what I can say is that uh, um, the most obvious thing to do is just to remain exactly where you are because dogs are very good in, uh, in, you know, in time you again. So no matter if they got lost because they were actually following, you know, some wild animal tracks and it happens a lot of the time, but <clears throat> they are good in, in coming back. So the, the most, the best thing to do is just to, uh, to rely on common sense, stay over there and see if the dog comes back. In case uh, he doesn't, well, you should be, proficient in uh, reading his own or her own tracks. And, but it's not easy at all because uh, the tracks of the dog itself, they intersecate and crisscross all the, tra the, the tracks of uh, wild animals. And uh, if you're not good enough in animal tracking, it's very, you know, uh, with some tough terrain, it's not 100% easy to distinguish dog tracks for, for example, bobcat tracks or ungulates again so well attending some uh, animal tracking classes and you have a lot of the united states really good ones uh it may help you in uh you know in gaining the essential of this art also because uh, i personally teach uh, man tracking okay and i'm not i consider myself a learner in man tracking and obviously even more in animal tracking but uh, the two things are completely separate because uh, men, they behave in a specific way. They, they just, uh, for example, let's say that uh, we go from point A to point B using a straight line if you don't have any kind of obstacle. But mm -hmm. the animal, not at all, they just, they just follow uh, a behavioral pattern and the risking the sound. So for this reason, I always tell my students, if you wanted to, you know, understand a little more on animal tracking or, you know, actually start to read animal tracks, you should apply to some, I attend to some classes because I can give you the, the I actually can give us some very, very, very essential. And once again, very essential, but men tracking has got specific loads. So if you, for example, if you're, let's say that your next question is, uh, how can I track a person in the woods? Okay, I can, uh, well, 
the podcast in this case I should uh, I should last for at least three hours and you should you know <laughs> I, yeah I, I know I know that but, we can uh, only we can only scratch the surface but that's yeah, I mean that's uh, what I was just I was just trying to get like a little a little bit of a an idea of of kind of like your mind state when you are tracking in the woods and I know that you know, like you said that uh, you're specializing in, in man tracking, not obviously not uh, a lost dog. But actually, uh, the reason I did bring it up is I've you know I've had that experience. My dog has gone off, like you said, and chased like a wild deer. But and I've and I've did, and I did what exactly what you said. I stayed, you know, I I waited, and she she always comes back, you know, because she's a good dog. And I just sit there and call her until she comes back. But there's you know, but there's been times I've been worried where she'll run so far that she can't hear me and then I'm going to have to figure out <laughs> how to, I have to learn how to start tracking real fast. <laughs> I got the point. Let's say that dogs are very smart and unless they've been, for example, have been attacked, let's say by like a predator. Okay. It makes sense that they always come back. They are always, uh, you know, um, come after you and uh, follow your own sound because then, they, they recognize it as uh, not only their owner, but uh, well, a, like a reference partner for them, let's say mm -hmm. this way. Uh, so let's make a, always a man uh, prevail uh, common sense uh, above all. And common sense for us is just uh, to say, okay, I wait a little bit here and say if the dog is coming back. Okay. If it's not, uh, it's just because it's probably, uh, again, uh, um, about a a bad experience or uh, some tough time with uh, with our own. Maybe uh, he fell down from, but uh, it's very rare. If you, for example, changing an animal, if you tell me, oh, well, I was uh, doing like an, uh, a trailer on uh, with a horse on a horseback and uh, I fell down and uh, the horse start to flee and run away, I totally got you because I have a, uh, Personally, had a, a, a nurse for 90 years, okay, 90 years, and she was extremely scared as animal because they are, you know, they are very, uh, they're full of fears. And it makes sense that the horse is start to run away and he doesn't come back. Yeah. If they're well-trained and they are smart, yeah, they do, but most of the time, no, I'm sorry. So in that case, yeah, you should be proficient in that. Uh, follow uh or tracks and that's it <laughs> hold up it's time for a special announcement my views are my own podcast is doing a cross-country bicycle tour i'm going to be riding my bicycle from nashville to new orleans and then from new orleans to los angeles i'll be accompanied by special co-host zach wilkinson as we sleep in ditches on the side of the road explore big cities and desolate wastelands and interview as many strange and interesting people as we can along the way in this new series. In many ways, this new project will still be the same podcast that you already know and love, except we will be adding an element of personal danger, a lot more trespassing than usual, and pushing ourselves to the limits of physical and mental exhaustion while trying to create coherent episodes. If this project sounds cool to you and you would like to support it, please go to myviewsofmyown.com. And there was a link on the main page that says, taking the show on the road. And thanks for listening. 
Now back to the interview. Uh, going back to man tracking, uh, and I believe you wrote a book about uh, urban tracking. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess, and I have a question for it, and that is, like, and just it's very basic. And I know, I know this is a huge question, so I know, like, just kind of choose maybe which, whichever part of it you want to answer, uh, because I know that you wrote an entire book on the subject. So obviously, there's a million things to say. But the question is, uh, how does tracking in an urban environment work? Because because to me, like when I try to imagine it, I don't understand how it could be done at all because you don't, you don't even have the access to the things like you might have in a forest or a desert where you're going to be able to see the tracks in the sand or the mud or like broken twigs uh, you know, or disturbed brush. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's a very good point. The, the fact is that uh, in, a, in a new urban environment, we have, uh, let's say, two micro categories of, of uh, substrate. Let's call it substrate, okay? From one point, we have a tough substrate, uh, completely um, unreadable, let's say this way. And we have, uh, for example, tar, we have uh, concrete, we have uh, asphalt, we have this kind of stuff, this kind of substrate. From the other point of view, just because we have a uh, the fortunate man of still living in uh, uh, towns. Uh, I, I don't know. May I ask you where are you located? Because I didn't get it. I'm in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. So oh. it's a uh, you know it's a very it's a it's a it's a mid-sized city, very urban. But there also is a lot of green space as well. Well, as you say, we have green spaces. You have a public parks. Uh, you have, a, for example, a private gardens. You have a courtyard. Okay, of your houses. You have flower beds, okay? Fortunately, we still have this kind of stuff because uh, I don't want some polemic, but there are some cities, especially in the former Soviet bloc, for example, in, uh, in Europe and in Russia, they have uh, concrete, concrete and concrete again, and very, very yeah. cheap. And for this specific reason, and again, I don't want some polemic, was just providing some examples, some very effective examples. We can actually follow a person or a person, more persons, by getting details from that area, the, the, the second category. So people like crossing the park and uh, we are actually able to, to get not only the trucks, but maybe any kind of uh, discouraged material that is called in, uh, in, in trucking uh, that maybe this person through on um, on the terrain uh, on purposely left because for example has been uh, kidnapped let's say this manner maybe mm -hmm. they you know uh the good idea of leaving some personal stuff like ring a bracelet i don't know a lighter with an initial of the name in order to be found and it happens sometimes uh, in that way the problem is that the transition from uh, this micro area of, uh, again, a natural terrain to our surface. But in that case, if we are lucky enough, we have uh, a transfer of material. Let's say um, a person is getting out from uh, a park, okay, a public garden, and it's got some uh, mud which has been uh, caught up by the, the sole of the shoe. In a moment, uh, 
this person is uh, making his way on the asphalt, on concrete, we have a dropping amen, of the material on this uh, new top surface. And in that case, if we are actually very on the track line itself, we still have the possibility to, you know, to track the person. It makes sense that in urban environment, the seed itself is constantly on, on change. It is fluid. And uh, I can be on the track line and maybe a vehicle or a car or a truck, whatever, can, uh, you know, mm, like uh, wipe away what I was uh, trying to, to track and solve it. We talk about tracking like solving a puzzle. And in that case, if I have no clues at all, I can actually, um, you know, take advantage of some uh, security camera in order to reconstruct the movement. But I stop at exactly this point because I don't want to get too annoyed because I actually can talk about it for, uh, for hours. And again, it depends on the city because if you have a lot of concrete, it's tough. I can also see, uh, uh, to, to your point, somebody were saying, like, for instance, if uh, the person that you are tracking, if they were to make a mistake and walk through a flower bed and then have, you know, some kind of substance like mud or whatever on their shoe, and then they track that onto the concrete, which then gives you, I mean, potentially the direction they're heading in, you might even be yeah. able to follow them for quite a ways. Which could also, like you said, it could, but it could lead you to, if they were to enter a building, then you know what building they went into. Or if they got into a vehicle, you know where they got into that vehicle. And then, like you said, you have access to, because you are in a city, you have access to all these additional tools that you wouldn't have. Uh, for instance, like if you're tracking poachers, you don't have security cameras everywhere and you don't have eyewitnesses in buildings. But yeah, but so you, I, I see what you're saying, that as long as you can get the, if you can follow the track far enough, you will get all the clues you need from there to, you know, to make the next deduction and be like, yeah. well, okay, this person got on, this person went into the subway and got on this particular train or this person went into this particular hotel. That's maybe where they're staying. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, um, deduction just paved the way to uh, a correct analysis. And in some cases that the forecast of the action that the subject is going to do, and uh, again, using some common sense and uh, feeling the mind of the quarry, as we say in tracking, provides you a lot of uh, um, valuable aids in order to solve the, the mystery. Okay, let's say this way. Uh, obviously, it's not easy at all uh, because if you have uh, no security camera, no eyewitness deposition, no idea at all where the subject is heading to, well, you are, uh, you know, you have pitch black, actually. But again, you can still make some out of it uh, and uh, maybe uh, you're just trying to reconstruct the, 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 the action. If, you, for example, you apply urban tracking to forensic, you have uh, what we say, what people say in, Fran in French, uh, just on the, 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 the facts uh, are already happen again and uh, you just need to reconstruct exactly what happened and it's not easy at all but again in some urban environment you can combine the two things together and from a certain perspective it is uh, easier than uh, 
having a fugitive on his uh, way out from, uh, let's say, any kind of environment or, I mean, any kind of context, I mean, sort of not environment from a castle or from a crime scene or whatever. And you have to identify a possible route that the person takes. Not easy, especially if the person is taking advantage also of some vehicles as well, because uh, in that case, uh, you need also to identify some car tread evidence. I mean, not only cars, but also motorcycles or whatever. And I guess that's the, uh, that's the, the place where the, there's the crossover or I guess the, the intersection, uh, between being a tracker or being what is just more of a traditional detective in a city because what, you know, a lot of what you're doing is, yeah, there's some guesswork you're, but you're making your best guesses and then you see what's in, and, and as you go, like what you find out, what is correct, you know, cause you, you make the guesses and then you, you, uh, act on them. And eventually, you know, hopefully you're able to reconstruct what the, the, whatever actually occurred, you know, yeah. is, that, is that right? Absolutely. Think about the case. Uh, uh, I don't know if you uh, uh, if you actually watched the, the, the TV series called The Night Stalker on Netflix. Uh, it's a pretty recent one, and it was based on uh, Ramirez. Was that Ted Bundy? No, on uh, Richard Ramirez. Actually. Richard Ramirez. I have not seen it, but I've uh, I've heard that it was uh, well done. If you have uh, any any chance to watch it, because it's uh, pretty short. I mean, it's no more than now. Uh, I recognize the six or seven episodes, something like this. It has plenty of tracking on it, plenty. Because uh, he didn't pay attention. And when he walked into, you know, houses of the victims, I don't want to spoil it because it just, you know, provided some clues why, because it's so full of tracking. But they actually had a very nice footwear evidence over there. And okay. uh, I stopped I here just because I don't want, again, to spoil it. But... Uh, that case, it combines, uh, you know, forensic tracking and urban tracking as well. So well, that sounds fascinating, actually. I because uh, I'm not I'm not super into serial killer shows, but uh, now I'm actually very interested in watching it because I would love to see uh, a tele- television show that shows, you know, real life tracking and, and forensic tracking and urban tracking and in the way it was in the way it was truly done. And I suppose, I guess, I don't want to do a spoiler either, but I'm. And you don't have to confirm this, but I, I'm going to go ahead and guess that's how they catch him. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they actually, yeah, they, 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 well, they, they use that evidence as, uh, as an important part of the, of the, the whole trial. And uh, let me say that also, the good movie that they made on um, the Zodiac Killer back in 19, not 19, in 2009, uh, Think so that uh, it was a zodiac killer, okay? That the, the, the title, and it's got some good uh, again, some good scene on uh, on forensic tracking because they they found uh, footwear evidence, especially in one uh, specific location where he committed a, a double murder over there, and they found it. And again, it is uh, uh, some very good uh, uh, application. I mean, uh, of the uh, of of tracking, they they call it mostly forensic evidence. Uh, sorry, footwear evidence in forensic. Uh, it's yeah. basically they 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 they, they we're talking about the, the, the same thing. Like with you know, what you're saying with like forensic footwear science, 
how they're able to take a partial footprint and then they're able from there they're able to deduct uh the person's shoe size like not not only that but like also like they're able to like very accurately guess their height and their weight it's a lot i mean that's a lot of stuff to be able to to extrapolate from literally just a footprint uh that's it and uh they basically they profile a person starting from one single evidence in this case provided by the one single footprint and that's exactly what happened with Richard Ramirez uh, back in uh, California uh, during the 80s and the 90s. They had that kind of evidence and they used it to profile the author. Okay, again, I, we don't want to spoil it. <clears throat> Maybe some listeners <clears throat> from the, 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 the podcast, they already watched the, 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 this Netflix serial. I recommend it to all my students because it's very clear, it's very nice. and. Uh, it's, you know, um, it, it involves you in reason in, like, not only track, but also, you know, combining uh, the tracking mentality, which is supposed uh, to do the most dynamic part, following tracks, uh, also with the forensic part, so reconstructing the scene. And it's amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it is amazing. It's such an amazing science. But Kit, I have to say this thing, uh, there's a part of this podcast that we call the lightning round. And this is the part where it's kind of almost, it's almost like a, a game show a little bit. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a series of questions, but I'm going to ask you uh, very quickly. And then you're not supposed to take any time to really think. It's supposed to be a gut reaction. So whatever, whatever the first thing that pops into your mind is, is like, that's what you should go with is the answer. Does that sound cool? Uh, absolutely. I just hope that, that my, my English will assist me. I mean, I'll, I'll do, do my best to make sure that I, I, I say my questions uh, clearly, because I also, I, a lot of people have said that I'm hard to understand. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to do my best to. Don't worry, I totally get you. And I have no issue at all in understanding what you're saying. And uh, we go. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> all right. Uh, this first one is a, is a two-part question, and I feel like we kind of touched on this a little bit before, but uh, I'm still going to ask this, and it is, what is the easiest animal to track, and what is the most difficult animal to track? Well, the easiest, uh, according to my experience, uh, the horse. The okay. horse? Horse. I don't give you the, the, the explanation because it would take a lot and it would be not more a flashy question and flasher answers. And the, the, the toughest one that I ever track, well, well, sometimes squirrels, just because of the dimension as well. Of the, oh, yeah, I can imagine a squirrel would be almost impossible because, I mean, yeah, because they're in the tree. Well, they if can... you know where to look for, yeah. yeah. It is very easy, but if you don't have a proper, again, a proper terrain, not easy at all. You can go with the, the, the remaining of the nuts. That's all, always a good, a good sign of their passage, man. That's a great answer. As a, I mean, I didn't even bother to try and guess what you would have said, but horse as the easiest and squirrel as the most difficult sounds exactly Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, not because horse, uh, when they escaped, they just made a way back to the 
to the uh, to the stables, okay? And the, yeah. the stable that were the correct word, uh, because uh, they they had that uh, itinerary, let's say, in mind, and uh, it makes sense that they go exactly where they come from, and that's it. <laughs> um, this is another two-part question, and it's kind of the same. And it, it is, uh, what is the easiest terrain to perform tracking skills? And what is the most difficult terrain? I can tell you in very easy manner. Uh, no one, no one, all, all of them and all of them. It just depends about a lot of varieties. No, I'm spelling it correct. There's a lot of factors which may affect, I mean, the terrain itself. So okay. I cannot say no, always. Not at all, because the snow can be extremely competent. Uh, and uh, sometimes uh, you can jump on it, literally jump on it, and you leave absolutely no sign. So it just depends on the innermost of that each single terrain has got. So, yes, I guess so. What you're saying is it's more dependent on the factors of, what are, of what's happening rather than necessarily the terrain. Because, I mean, I guess, for instance, you could be in some terrain that on the surface should seem like it would be easy to see like visual signs or whatever but at the same time a tornado could come through and erase all of that so <laughs> we have uh, weather conditions and again the, the, the moisture itself and the percentage of humidity of each single terrain determine the depth of each single track so we may have the ideal terrain with the ideal condition of again of humidity and we can see you know traces of a lizard Laser the man, but if we don't have a dead ideal percentage, oh, will be really, really tough. Again, very complicated. This next one, this question is uh, it might be a little bit silly, but at the same time, I think that we can get some valuable information out of it. And it's that it's if a Sasquatch was real, is there any valid reason why a highly skilled tracker would not be able to find it? You know, because people always want to say that that, this, I have, that, that it's so elusive and yeah, evasive. I, I, I have to tell you that I, I have a very reasonable answer for it. Okay, okay. a little bit silly too, but from some perspective, it makes sense. So the Sasquatch, uh, in my, uh, you know, if we uh, connect it mostly with uh, Himalaya and Nepal mountain chain over there, uh, it snow so much over there that uh, if the the the, the yeti or the sasquatch as you call it uh, leave tracks that they are completely in a matter of uh you know seconds sometimes and they can completely overwhelm by new snow coming you know what i'm saying from snowstorms over there are so frequent yeah so common uh, that it makes sense that uh, kill extracts but these tracks have been completely covered in a matter of a few seconds by the new snowstorm coming in so that's my my point. I oh, personally that's a, that's a great answer. Actually, I, I didn't even think about. I, I you know I'm a very you know I always read on uh, some facts and uh, my pragmaticity and uh, for me the first answer that I have to give you that I want to give you actually is just based on common sense. And over there, yeah, you have snow quite continuously, and uh, it makes sense if you have a track over even bigger track like this. And also, I, guess, I suppose. Too like if if a Sasquatch was highly intelligent, and its number one uh, priority 
is to not be tracked, then of course, maybe it would be able to hide its tracks. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, that the answer is great. <laughs> that could be another possibility, but personally, <clears throat> I don't think that it's a, like, uh, you know, well, it, it's a long, it's a long topic to cover indeed, uh, but I don't think too much in the real existence of this kind of, uh, you know, figures, uh, I may go with other explanation and that's it. Could be maybe the topic for an next episode. I don't know. Yeah. We might have to do a part two to get into the Sasquatch stuff because I know people <laughs> people just love that uh, that theory. Um, here's another one. I think this one's obviously like like so many of the questions I've asked you. There's a million things you could say, and I know that you don't you can't. So maybe just pick uh, just a couple things that you think would be the best. You know, maybe or maybe just some of the easiest. And that's uh, what are some simple exercises a beginning tracker should focus on to develop their senses for tracking? Well, uh, a very nice one, the reason you can absolutely do everywhere. I mean, also in uh, public parks or whatever. It's just uh, creating a track line of 10 steps. And I mean, five with the right feet, uh, foot, sorry, and five with the left one. And then you make a U-turn. Okay, and uh, at, let's say at point B, you go on straight line firstly. You start from A, you go, you follow a straight line, you reach the point B, and then you make a U-turn, and you come back from the starting point, and you track to backtrack yourself and see okay. if you are able to recognize that this one is one of my footprints. That's a that's a great one because also you're familiar with what it is you're looking for because exactly. you're tracking your own tracks. Yeah, you do two exercises in one. You become what do we say, track aware. And in second place, you have the possibility to start to get accustomed to your own footprints in case a man you get lost, stranded a man somewhere. And the more you become familiar with your own footprints in different kind of terrain, the more uh, good a man that would able you will become uh, when you need to face a uh, uh, worst case scenario. We hope no, but in case we may have some knowledge, we may have some skills, and we may get out successfully from an emergency situation. Yeah, that, that like not only you know could that be a fun exercise for a beginner to work on just to start getting the basics down of tracking and by tracking your own footsteps, but like you were saying, in in an emergency situation where perhaps you've gotten yourself lost having the ability to recognize your own tracks and then potentially be able to backtrack yourself could be, that could be a life-saving skill. Yeah, definitely. Yes. And then you can actually apply it also to, to give some help in locating a missing subject, for example, because, uh, um, you know how to track and it makes sense. Okay. But, uh, on this topic, I, don't, I won't <clears throat> get too much on it. Uh, just because we need to specify that uh, for, you know, uh, being part of the search and rescue, you need to attend courses over there, you need to get in some specific evaluation, that, you know, just based on, uh, you know, improvise yourself and uh, get out of the bed one day and say, oh, I just want, you know, to take part of that uh, you know, research from the missing subject. You can pop up one day uh, with this kind of idea in mind. You definitely need to be, you know, qualified. Uh, that so i just wanted to be you know clear and uh, clear and um so this next question is very different it's not 
it's not necessarily a tracking question. And it's just that I've had uh, uh, some, I've had some uh, pretty interesting uh, wilderness survival experts on this podcast before. And I always like to ask a question like this, just, and, and I know that, you know, you came on as a tracking expert, but I know that you spend a lot of time in the wilderness and I know you've been in that. I'm sure you understand, you know, I know you've written, a, you've written a lot on bushcraft and, and different types of wilderness survival. So I just wanted to ask you this one question because it's just a fun question. And it's that, uh, if you were planning to spend 30 days in a jungle environment, without being able to acquire fresh supplies and, and could only bring one backpack, what would you pack for that expedition? So if I get you right, you are asking me about a backpack or, or about the gear that I would put in it. Uh, just what would, just what would like, so uh, in this scenario, you have, a, you have a backpack and that's all you're going to be able to carry with you into the jungle for 30 days. What supply, like what kind of, gear and tools and supplies which you fill the backpack with for for 30 days of survival for 30 days in the jungle okay generally speaking jungle okay could be south america could be malaysia in uh okay well definitely cutting tools cutting tools to make some uh, natural shelter over there but uh, if you specified that uh, i actually need to also to cover my own tracks it makes sense for me to try to prepare some uh, natural shelter to spend uh, the overnight over there by using my bearings. Because if I cut something, people who are actually trying to track me, you know, because I can't see it from a tracking perspective, they could easily spot some, you know, fresh cuts into the vegetation. And the yeah. vegetation over there is lush. So <laughs> I won't go for it. But uh, is, there, but, is there a way, like a specific way, like, if you were building a shelter, uh, you know, just by hand in the woods, is there a specific way that you would try to, you know, obviously I'm assuming you're going to be breaking off branches, different types of brush. Is there a way to do it that makes it look more like an animal did it rather than a, than a human? No, 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 not at all. Also, because even if, uh, you know, I'm, uh, personally speaking, I'm not at all. I'm normal. Eight, I mean, but uh, uh, I need something that it looks, uh, you know, well, that if it's my necessity of getting into it, there's no way for me to uh, to create something that would look a little bit like animal made. One way to go, but it has its own risk, is to take advantage of some natural caves. But in caves, you have beds. And if you spend some time over there, you may get into a very bad, bad disease that is called histoplasmosis over there. And uh, you won't get it at all. But uh, personally speaking, you, you know, I think that everyone of us need at least one cutting tool to do some stuff over there in, uh, in the jungle for 30 days. Uh, the second thing that I would carry with me, uh, well, water filtration system, of oh, course, yeah. because uh, you yeah. won't get some <laughs> bad disease from, uh, from bacteria, from jardin or, or the other bacteria over there. So, and uh, obviously something to make fire because I, I would go with a friction fire somewhere in a stuck in the jungle because everything is soaking wet that you have no possibility to get someone 
good friction fire in an easy and quick way manner in a couple of minutes. So definitely fry rods are good lighter and uh, well, and mosquito nest. Well, the list could be extremely long, you know. It's just <laughs> the, it just depends on how much comfort you know you want to to feel and to ensure to yourself. But it makes sense that the most essential part of the gear will be this one. And about further, if I have the possibility to carry some uh, MRE, I would prefer because you never know if, you, if you're not proficient I mean, uh, on uh, plant identification in the jungle. It's very easy to, to pick one thing for another. And uh, you yeah. won't get that too. <laughs> I guess uh, that kind of brings to mind possibly bringing uh, some kind of like you said, like a plant identification guide for whatever jungle you're going to be in. And that way you don't accidentally pick a poisonous plant when you think it's an edible plant. Yeah. Also because, you know, jungles are, are can be very similar from a certain point of view that most of them are green L, okay, like they've been defined, but they have different plants and uh, you definitely need to understand what they are before picking it up and say, okay, let's do the toxic test and using uh, parts of my skin. And then everything's good, went good and you put them inside your mouth and uh, well, well, let's see yeah. if they are really good <laughs> or if they are, if they are, you know, any manner poisonous. Oh, may, you may have some uh, allergic reaction to them and you don't have any pen or uh, any kind of stuff to, you know, to face that uh, anaphylaxis. Oh, that's really bad. Really. Yeah, that's so. the, the last case scenario that you want to use to identify whether or not a, point, a plant is poisonous is to consume the plant. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I would go for do a, like a, you know, endless test on them. And then when I'm like a, quite mm, closer to the certainty that I could hear that, uh, well, uh, in the very ultimately, I mean, uh, in a stress and ultimately I can uh, taste a little bit of it, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it's not easy at all. It's not easy. And Kit. I have to ask you the most important question, and that is, uh, where can people uh, check you out? Where, they, where can they find your books? Where can they find your tracking school? Uh, all, all that information for the people that uh, want to continue to learn more uh, about, about tracking, what you do, and, and all of that. So I guess, uh, I know that's a big question, but uh, I can <laughs> go ahead and tell, tell everyone how to find that stuff. I will keep it up very, you know, as quick answer. As uh, uh, I'm a, rep I do not run my own school. I'm just I have this uh, a tremendous honor of being a representative for the school, which is based in Virginia, as you mentioned at the beginning of the episode. So, if you want to attend some classes, you should reach out to my call at uh, the school dot com, which is his official website. You have this email. You can drop a message and say, "Okay, I was listening to the podcast." really want to, you know, dig out more for this uh, tracking thing, I mean. Uh, if you want to check out for my books, so you have my website, which is thewayoftracking.com. And on the homepage, you have all my books, uh, The Importance of Being a Tracker, The Urban Tracking Companion, which I wrote actually in collaboration with uh, 
the CEO of uh, conservation ranges operation worldwide and the market. And uh, you have a, a historical book, which is called uh, The Jungle Trackers. Okay. It, it wasn't the case that you asked me about the jungle because I was actually mentioned this, this book <laughs> that I wrote back to uh, last winter. And uh, it is uh, an historical book on the SAS soldiers or special forces from, uh, from United Kingdom over there in uh, Malaysia uh, and uh, Borneo back in the 50s and the 60s. So you have all my books over there. You have my contact on, uh, on, uh, on the main page again. And uh, you also have the possibility to uh, download uh, you know, some contacts that are put completely for free on the page, which is called Men Tracking Sources. And uh, that's it. <laughs> and uh, Kit, I absolutely must say, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This has been fantastic, and I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so much for inviting me, for resting me, and for your patience in understanding this. Some very odd English, Alpha, Texan, and Alpidarian. I appreciate you uh, being patient with me struggling to say anything at all in Italian at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, good, and I appreciate that, and I really enjoyed this time with you, really. Thank you for listening to My Views Are My Own. If you'd like to contact me, please go to myviewsaremyown.com or you can find me on Instagram at myviewsaremyown underscore podcast or on Twitter at myviews underscore podcast or send a skywriting plane over the city of Nashville and I will most likely get your message if it's on my side of town. Thank you very much.